A big thank you to Lincoln Riley and the rest of the OU football program for moving the spring game from last Saturday up a day to Friday night. After a 2018 spring game featured temps in the 40s and 30-mile-an-hour wind, the last thing we needed was a 2019 spring game with the exact same weather plus rain. Friday the 12th presented a beautiful night under the lights in Norman, and Sooners fans were fantastic. More than 50,000 people showed up. After the game, Lincoln Riley hinted that a primetime spring game could be here for good. You better believe that if Riley thinks that'll help recruiting, he'll do it. And while the spring game is mostly used as a recruiting tool, you know the purveyors of this podcast were more interested about what happened on the field as opposed to off. And what we saw last Friday on Owen Field was a team still very much behind on the defensive side of the football. I'll play you some sound from Alex Grinch later on in the show, and it doesn't sound good. Sure, I saw some positive things in the spring game from some defensive players, but not a lot of great things stood out to me. In fact, both defensive units were just kind of there all night, seemingly going through the motions. As for the offense, Jalen Hurts passed his first test in front of Sooner Nation. He was good, made a couple of really nice throws, and didn't do anything of note that should raise any red flags. Tanner Mordecai, on the other hand, struggled. Note to Lincoln Riley, I appreciate everything you've done for OU football. I think the world of your football acumen and your ability to get the most out of quarterbacks. That being said, you're not going to convince me there's a real quarterback competition after what I saw on Owen Field last Friday night. Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback for the Sooners. All we're waiting for is the official announcement. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hurts knocking on the door again, showing Sooner fans what they might expect come the end of August versus Houston. Into the end zone, touchdown. Perfect pass, beautiful catch. Kennedy Brooks on the reception. We go to the spring game for today's intro. Jalen Hurts to Kennedy Brooks. The six-yard touchdown pass gave the red team a 14-7 lead last Friday night in Norman. It was Brooks's second touchdown of the night. Hertz's lone touchdown pass of the evening, although Hertz did also add a rushing touchdown as the red team went on to win the game 35 to 14. Welcome in, everybody. Once again, I am Lee Benson. My brother Grant will join me here in a moment. And I know, I know, we're really late on the podcast release this week, and I'll take full responsibility for that one. I know Grant wanted to do the show earlier this week. I just had, I had not. Uh, watch back the game yet and I wasn't prepared so it's all on me but we're here now and we're ready to talk some Oklahoma football so coming up on the show today tons of spring game talk and discussion what we'll do is uh, Grant and I have a list of observations that we'll go through and that should lead to some enthralling talk maybe some debate who knows we'll see I have not seen his list he has not seen mine I've also got a piece of sound from Alex Grinch providing his assessment of the Oklahoma defense now that spring practice is over. And like I said in the beginning of the show, it does not sound promising. Also, we've got one listener question to answer. And at the very end of the show, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL draft, which begins uh, Thursday the 25th. So it's almost here. 
So without any further ado, let's welcome in Grant. And uh, Grant, we actually kind of have a football game to discuss on today's show. So does that make you more happy than usual? Absolutely. A lot more to talk about today. Um, of course, the last time we, uh, we had a show, everyone probably listened to it right before the spring game. I kind of bagged on the spring game a little bit. Uh, this time around, I feel like there was probably a little bit more to take from it than usual. Um, this, this was by far the most competitive spring game uh, I've seen really, I think, ever at Oklahoma. So kudos to them for that. Uh, actually giving us some, definitely some material to break down today. All right, so obviously our big discussions are going to be about what we saw on the field, but since I talked briefly in the opening take just about, I guess, the atmosphere of the spring game, I'll open the floor up to you right now if you have any thoughts. I mean, you were watching it on TV or on online at home on Friday night. You know, I, what was it like on TV? Did you get the sense that the atmosphere was pretty cool? Because you know, being there in the stadium, the weather is beautiful. There's a lot of people there. To me, I thought there was more people there than last season, but actually – Last year's spring game had about 2,000 more people there, uh, even though the weather was bad. So just imagine if this game was scheduled for, let's say, Saturday primetime. I'd like to think that more people would have been there if the weather was nice uh, this time around. But uh, anyways, what were your thoughts just on the, uh, the event as a whole and, and what you saw on TV? I think it was just a total success. It looked really good on TV. Um, I texted you after the game saying something along the lines of they probably had a pretty similar number to what they had last year, uh, but just the game being at night, it made it look bigger, it made it feel bigger, it just made it look more full. It just did. I don't know how it works like that, but it does. Um, I think them playing the game at night is a complete, total success, and it would be it would be wise to continue that into the future. They need to be playing that game at night. It just felt like a bigger deal. And it sounds like that's certainly something that Lincoln Riley will consider moving forward. He said after the game that the main reason why they've not done it at night, and granted, he's only been at OU now, what, you know, only this is this will be his third year as the head coach, and uh, what is fifth or sixth year total? He was he the offensive coordinator, what, starting in 15, 16? Okay, so just two years before as the offensive coordinator. So this is his, this will be his fifth year at Oklahoma. Uh, Point being, he said that they haven't done it at night in the past because they were always concerned about weather. What would the weather be like? Would it be, I'm assuming, would it be too cold? Because I know it is April. It should be nice and warm in Oklahoma-ish. But as we've seen the past two years, mid to late April, it still can be cold and crappy. So for whatever reason, he said it was ironic that weather was always an issue. The reason why they didn't have it at night before. Weather forced them to have it at night this year, and it was a rousing success. So... We'll see if uh, it becomes a night game from here on out. And one last thing, he said that like a week later after the spring game or something like that, they're already going to start planning on next year's spring game. So that gives you an idea of, of how long it takes to plan out events like this. They literally plan it out a year in advance, which is surprising to me. I didn't think they would have started planning that early. but uh, It shows do. you, and it also just shows you how big of a deal they're making this. Um, they've obviously pegged this weekend as their big recruiting weekend. Um, they, I think they, what I, I think this is a branding thing. I think they want to make Oklahoma the place to go in the spring. Um, and I, I, you know, you saw this kind of around the country. Um, I, I saw on that Friday night there were other spring games going on, also that weekend, and they were pretty sparsely attended. I know a Tex Texas A and M had their spring game that night. Um, it looked generous, maybe ten or fifteen thousand people there. Um, 
And then when you compare oh, that, I'm sure to there you, was more than that. Oh, there. did you see they, the? Oh, they, did you see the pictures of the stadium? No, I didn't. I mean, it was but, it, it was empty. Like they that's didn't. Very, wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it I mean, surprised me as people. well. Surprised me as well. Um, so yeah, and I, I think this is definitely a new, a, a unique little idea. Um, I think it it does kind of have you know an opportunity to backfire on you because I think typically you want those big time guys in in the fall, right? They're on on an actual Saturday on game day, but um, they've pegged this as, as you know their best chance, and it certainly worked out last year. And you know we'll see. I'm sure they had a handful of commitments last weekend. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more coming from it, but. Um, it just, yeah, the, the event looked like it, it just, it, it drew great reviews and it was a huge success. And Alex Grinch this week on Tuesday said that he has not been a part of a recruiting weekend like that for a spring game, like a spring game recruiting weekend. That was, that was new to him. So clearly at Ohio state, they must not do it the same. I know that Ohio state though, I think they do pretty well in the spring game. So, uh, that might, maybe they don't use it as much of as a recruiting tool I as wonder maybe Oklahoma if, is trying to use it yeah. as as of now. Lee, I wonder if if part of the calculus on Lincoln Riley's part here is that he just prefers to do this in the spring and in the fall he would rather you know pay attention to what's happening with his team and not have to worry so much about a big recruiting weekend during the fall. You think that's part of it? I haven't thought of that before, but um, it certainly makes sense that cuz you know Maybe I've said it on the podcast before. Maybe you have too. But you know, obviously, we've said it a million times. This isn't a recruiting podcast. The recruiting aspect of college football to me, I'm just not that interested in. I realize it's incredibly important. So don't get me wrong. I realize again, there's a lot of emphasis that needs to be put on it. I just don't get that into it. And I like to say that you know, when the season gets there, I don't like to think of coaches really spending a whole lot of time on the recruiting because I think they should be focusing on the upcoming game a lot and. Obviously, you know, maybe that's what, yeah, maybe there's a part of that for Lincoln Riley that he thinks, you know, I really want to focus a lot on recruiting this time of year when there's not an opponent upcoming this next week that will determine whether or not I make the college football playoff or win the Big 12 championship. So once I can get a lot of this recruiting done in April, then I can focus more on the games and my own team, like you said, in the fall. So that's an interesting theory I hadn't thought of, and I kind of like that. All right. Let's let's get into our spring game takeaways. And again, I, I got a list of stuff. You got a list of stuff. Mine's a little longer, honestly, than I thought it would be. I got about so, yeah, I got about like seven or eight bullet points each yeah. on the offense and defense. So, okay, yeah. So I got you know about half and half offense defense. So let's see where should we begin. Obviously, the most there's two interesting storylines: the defense and Jalen Hurts. So one offense, one defense. Well, how about we? How about we start with the? Let's start with the offense because I think that's easier. Let's start with that because okay, I feel like we'll, that's where I started too on my list. Let's just start with that because I think this is a lot. It's a lot cleaner to do it that way. I think we have a lot more crystallized thoughts on that probably. Um, and I think, I think obviously we're probably going to be we're probably going to spend more time talking about the defense. So let's just start with the offense. All right. So since I had the opening take today, I will let you go first with your first bullet point. I know that's not really an exact science, but let's go for it. All right. Yeah. And how about this? I'm just going to throw out what the bullet point says, and I just want you to react to it. I think that's a good way to, to, to do yeah. this. So, okay, here we go. Lee, Jalen Hurts looked extremely serviceable at worst and really good at best. Your thoughts? I, I agree. My my note on Jalen Hurts is Jalen Hurts played well. He didn't play phenomenal. He didn't play bad. He played well. And I would agree with your sentiment. 
since you started this, I'll let you provide more details, if you will. I mean, I got you know, I got a couple notes. I thought he made. I'll put. I'll start with this way. I'll get the ball rolling a little bit more too. I thought he made two really nice throws on on Friday night that stood out to me. One, uh, I believe, it was the first series of the game. He threw a third and nineteen conversion. It was a long kind of, I guess, technically a back shoulder throw to Trajan Bridges. And that was a, he put the ball in the right spot there. Bridges came back for the football, converted a long third down play. I thought that was a nice throw. And then he completed a, his best throw of the night was to Austin Stogner on a, a bit of a, a, a sideline route. Agreed. Where, yeah. Yeah. The ball, ball traveled 31 yards in the air. And yeah, it was just, it was put perfectly in the right spot to where only Stogner can make the catch. And it was a starting safety. That was in coverage there, and it was Chance Sylvie. And granted, Chance Sylvie hasn't played a meaningful game in over a year, but I mean, he's a guy who started there at safety in the spring game, and he didn't have terrible coverage. He just he couldn't get there because the ball was put in the right spot, and the ball it it doesn't jump out of Hertz's hand at all, like what we've seen the last two quarterbacks at Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. However. Those two players, one of them was the number one overall pick, and the other one's probably going to be the number one overall pick. So that's an, I mean, those are elite players. Jalen Hurts isn't anywhere near those two guys, but he's got a lot of experience. And I really enjoyed his ball location on that play, even though uh, it just it didn't jump out of his hands the way we're kind of accustomed to the last, well, one year with Kyler Murray and three years with Baker Mayfield. So those are the, the two best throws of the night, two really nice throws from Jalen Hurts. Uh, there was maybe one throw where he was a little bit late over the middle that was broken up. That uh, yeah, that's nitpicky uh, down the field he threw. But other than that, yeah, I thought he played well. He looked in control of the offense for only being here for two plus months or whatever it's been, maybe three months. And uh, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, in a second. I'll, I'm, you got thoughts on Hertz as well, but he looked miles ahead of Tanner Mordecai. Yep, and so. I want you to. I, I want to bookmark that throw to Austin Stogner because I want to come back to it when we're talking about the receivers. Um, but yeah, I thought that was his best throw, and then the the throw earlier to Bridges was also great. But another one, Lee, I want to bring up um, is his actual his first throw of the game, uh, going uh, when he drifted to his right and he threw across his body to Nick Basquin. I thought that was a was an underrated good throw as well. Um, so his I want very to point- first snap. Yep. As a sooner, yep. Even and I wanted to point game. that. Yep, wanted to point that out. And also, uh, so one of the reasons why I didn't, you know, come out and just say, "Hey, he looked amazing," was because I did notice at times, kind of his, which was his biggest weaknesses at, at Alabama, was um, at times when his first read was not there, he drifted. He started drifting out of the pocket and wanting to look to scramble. Um, and that is something that we have not seen at all from Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray the last uh, couple years. And part of that reasoning is what you know part of that is what made the offense so great as well. So uh, that's mm-hmm. one thing I really want Jalen Hurts to clean up, and that's maybe the biggest challenge uh, in this coming offseason because that was his – I mean, that, that was his bit at Alabama. And so it doesn't look like he is he's, – he's tamped that down at all. So um, I'm hoping that's something that Lincoln Riley is, is really uh, going to get in his brain about, and, and you know, hopefully that's something he tries to improve on uh, this summer. And that's an incredibly difficult skill to have as a quarterback – but Jalen Hurts has been doing this for a long time now at the college level, at the highest level. That's something that need he needs to be better at. I mean, he needs to – I mean, it should not be – for a guy that has as much experience as him, he should not have issues going 
one read to read number two to read number three. That should be something that develops over time. And clearly what it tells me is that at Alabama, and we saw this on film, he wasn't the focal point of the offense. He was a game manager. I mean, he would make plays here and there, but it's the defense is really good. Don't mess it up. And granted, uh, he started one full year, two full years, and then was benched in the national title game. And then Tua came in, and Tua is just a lot better at playing quarterback and going through his reads and and maximizing that Alabama offense. And, and Jalen Hurts just doesn't have those kind of skills. You'd hope that Lincoln Riley can bring the best out of Jalen Hurts, but as we all know, there's not a whole lot of time here to work with Jalen Hurts. So it's one of those things where you just kind of got got to get the best you can with what you got. And again, it's the spring game. He's only been here for, let's see, he came in mid-January, so I guess three months. And it, it would seem that he's got a pretty good grasp of the offense. And after a summer of, of more work and things like that, hopefully that comes to him a little more naturally. It's just, it's one of those things to me though, Grant, that it's it's never going to be where we want it to be, honestly. If it's not there yet, it's not going to get to where we're kind of used to, where it needs to be, in my opinion. Yeah, they're not they're not going to throw the ball in the 2019 season as well as they have the last, let's be honest, the last four seasons. That's probably not going to happen. Um, but that's okay. That doesn't mean they can't be good throwing the ball at all. Right. Because right. the last four seasons, they've been beyond exceptional throwing the ball. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, their quarterbacks have have broken what pass efficiency record records. I mean, Kyler broke three straight Baker's. seasons. You know, and the fact that Kyler was able to break Baker's is is nuts. And I mean, and we're big fans of Pro Football Focus on here. I mean, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield's had the best Pro Football Focus numbers since they've been keeping yeah, big, track of college. Big stats. fans of it when we can use it to our advantage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, exactly. Exactly. But I don't know, Lee. I I thought actually, uh, you know, the biggest thing that we can take away from Jalen Hurts is just how we looked in comparison to Tanner Mordecai. Um, and I and I thought the obvious difference was just how in control Jalen Hurts looked in comparison to Mordecai, who had happy feet and certainly just did not look particularly comfortable. He was pressing very obviously. So would you like to transition then to talking about Mordecai, or do you have any other thoughts on Hurts? I don't have any thoughts on Hurts anymore. I, I, he looked in control and good. He, he looked like a guy who has played in the biggest games in college football, and Tanner Mordecai didn't. I think that's, that's, that's fairly fair to say. That's, that's fair. And also, too, I'll just add this. Being on the sidelines for the game and watching it, I didn't have any strong thoughts on on Hurts when I left Owen Field Friday, and I, you know, I, I figured he played played okay, played well. But then watching it back, actually through the TV version and seeing it from a a, a high vantage point, I, I I was a lot more impressed of him seeing him in that light than I was uh, down on the field. So uh, that's always a good thing. Whenever you go back and, and you watch and, and things look better than it did on the field, I think uh, that's a good standard to have. So yeah, as far as Mordecai though goes. Like I said earlier, just he looked way behind Jalen Hurts. Uh, his numbers, uh, 12 of 24, 153 yards, did have that touchdown pass to Lee Morris and had that one interception that Justin Burroughs picked off. And I know you could do this with a lot of stats, but in this particular instance, I think it, it's fair to say that you take away the Morris touchdown, and that was you know, a 10-yard-ish 
pass over the middle where Mordecai did do a good job of stepping up in the pocket and getting the ball out to, to Morris. And it was a little behind him, but it wasn't a terrible throw. Didn't Morris, Morris catch it. it literally with one hand behind him? No, I went back. I went back and watched it again. It wasn't. It wasn't that bad. And and more. It wasn't really behind him though. It was more like kind of in the front of him. And Morris kind of awkwardly caught it. If you go back and watch it, it's it's not as bad as I thought it was. But you know, like I feel like it's one of those things where if Kyler Murray or Mayfield made that throw, he'd be like, ah, that wasn't the best throw. But yeah, it happens, and the guy made a play. Uh, but the point is, though, it was only you know a ten yard throw, and Morris went the rest of the way, went fifty eight yards. That's- Take away the, that yardage, and Mordecai was eleven of twenty three for ninety five yards. No touchdowns, and then that one pick, which was just he kind of just threw it up there into the double coverage, I believe it was, and Broles made it that made the play. So he just those are he didn't look like he those are pitiful yeah. numbers, pitiful. Yeah, not not great compared to Hertz, who was eleven of fourteen for one seventy four, a touchdown and one rushing touchdown. And I don't think Hertz really had a a big explosive play. His biggest explosive play, I think, was the pass to Stogner, which most of that was through the air. All of that was through the air. Uh, I think that was the longest pass play of the game for Hertz. So I mean, granted, we want to, we want the 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 big yards per attempt. I mean, that's something that Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were phenomenal at. I mean, they were averaging 11, 12 yards per attempt, which is just incredible. I mean, led the and nation. That's, that's right where Hertz was. Okay, yeah. So yeah, and I didn't do the math on that, but uh, it's yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, one hundred and seventy yards and change on fourteen throws is right there. I mean, that's yeah, right there. Yeah. So, uh, but as far as Mordecai goes, just specifically, he just, you, know, you mentioned Hurts, I guess, you know, having trouble after his first read. And yeah, I, I didn't notice it as much in that game. But now that you bring it up, I'm, I'm sure there probably was signs of that. As for Mordecai, though, to me, it, it looked the same. He didn't look to be processing things quickly enough. Just wasn't seeing his, 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 his progressions uh, quickly. Uh, and, and also... You know, and, and part of that, too, had to do with, and we'll talk about the offensive line later, but part of that had to do with them playing two walk-ons at center. Um, the, the centers, pretty much for both teams, could not handle Neville Gallimore and others inside the entire game at all. Right, and that's something that I wanted to kind of discuss, too, a little bit, is go over the, the offensive lines, because, uh, you know, it was Ian, for Tanner Mordecai, it was Ian McIver at center, uh, Marquise Hayes at left guard, Finley Felix at left tackle, and then you had Robinson at right guard and Swaby at right tackle. Uh, I think there are some some starters in there. I believe Hayes and Robinson are maybe considered starters. Uh, but as far as the tackles go, I believe those aren't necessarily the start. Even though Bill Biedenbo, I got to say, on Tuesday he said that he didn't know who the starters are right now. He said, well, he to be more specific, he said that if he had to play a game this week, he he knows he, who he'd start at offensive line. But for all intents and purposes – when it comes to the fall and the 2019 season, they don't have starters yet in the offensive line. But yeah, you bring up a good point, though. How much does his supporting cast affect the way he plays? And that's fair. You know, I guess that's the thing with the spring game. Things are split up so much that, and we'll talk about this more in the defense, I think it really shows, is that we just don't get a good read sometimes. So uh, there there could be an asterisk next to Mordecai. You know, he didn't have you know the receivers to go with him i mean cd lamb didn't play really at all and that he was on mordecai's team he played one series played the first series okay. is all okay see i didn't even notice that so basically he, uh yeah they they went to him on a comeback route on the very first play of the game um miguel edwards uh defended it really nicely actually 
And uh, that was the only time I ever saw Lamb in the entire game, really. I think he came in and maybe caught a punt or two as well. Just yeah, fun. yeah, he did. He did. Uh, but other than so other than Lamb, you know, it was it was Lee Morris who had the touchdown catch, Jaden Hazelwood, brand new receiver. I mean, good player. And then, you know, Michael Jones and Jaqueline Crawford, who Jaqueline Crawford turned into Mordecai's favorite target in the second quarter. Um uh, but but more on Mordecai. Just uh, there was there was one play, and, and you know maybe this is this is not fully on Mordecai. I think this is more this is on both Mordecai and Michael Jones. You know, a player that has been in the program uh, you know a long while, but just hasn't really ever popped. There was a play. Uh, it was third and seventeen, and Oklahoma just rushed three, and then they rushed the fourth guy. It looked like maybe he was a bit of a spy. So four total guys rushed, but Mordecai had plenty of time to throw. But then he gets forced out of the pocket to his left. And Michael Jones is running kind of a wheel route down the boundary side of the field, and he needed to just stop his route and turn to look for the football, but he didn't. Instead, he, he continued running his route because I'm sure his route was designed to go deep, but he ran right into the where the defender was, the safety, and Mordecai's throw was underthrown and, and incomplete. And to me, it just was a, an example of both players not being on the same page and just not having a whole lot of situational awareness to stop make the catch when you're wide open and pick up the first down and you know part of that's on Mordecai I think for just again just the communications out there and also just on Michael Jones for just not realizing okay sometimes you got to stop your route and get open and you know that's kind of a random play I know there but just I didn't see that really when Jalen Hurts was out there and, and his offense was out there so uh, just not a lot of positives for uh, for Tanner Mordecai really the only positives for him that I can think of is whenever he threw the football to Jaquelin Crawford any other thoughts specifically on on Tanner Mordecai Grant? Uh, no, I, I just you know my my lone bullet point on him was that he he looked bad. He 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 just he he did not play well at all. So, but I, I'm 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 perfectly comfortable with chalking that up to it being the spring game though, because you know Kyler Murray looked terrible last year. Uh, Austin Kendall looked looked terrible a couple years ago. I mean it it, it happens. Okay. Well, how about you react to? my uh statement in the opening take about how would you know lincoln riley can talk about this being a competition all he wants but he's not going to be able to convince me that this is actually a real competition where do you stand on that now yeah he actually kind of alluded to that a little bit didn't he he did come out and say that he is not dead set on like no it's you know we're not we're not necessarily gonna you know leave it up you know till like the last you know until a week before the first game like they right. did last summer because i i think you know he's he he watched the game too you know i think i Last year it happened. I mean, Austin Kendall arguably outplayed Kyler Murray last year, so it was more believable, you know, to to make last year based off the spring game. But I know he knows everybody watched what happened on Friday night. Yeah, you know, like it was it, it was night and day. It, it's not even. I, I I understand it's not you know particularly one hundred percent fair to only be talking about the spring game with this, but it just it didn't look close at all. And just the spirit of what Riley said after the game, just kind of what you're talking about, is that once it's pretty clear that there's a number one, they got the starter, it doesn't make any sense to continue to split reps at quarterback because that number one guy, it makes more sense for that guy to get more of the reps. And so Riley said that once it's pretty clear to them that they've determined that, that's when they'll make the call. Uh, I kind of had a, a theory that maybe after this last spring practice on Tuesday this week that maybe we get an announcement that, you know what, this is it. We're going to go into the summer with with Hertz as a starter, but then I thought obviously that didn't happen, and I suppose they didn't need to do that because it still gives Mordecai that thought of okay, I I can improve, I can still get better, 
And uh, the question will be, at what point in the fall in August will they make that call? You know, last year it was, I believe, two weeks before the first game against Ford Atlantic. And, uh, you know, well, I guess, you know, the, one of the most the, the famous one of the most famous things we say on this podcast, we'll see. More offensive guys. So we talked quarterbacks. We briefly touched on a couple of receivers. Uh, you started with, okay, your bullet point was Jalen Hurts. Uh, I guess technically my bullet point was Murakai looked behind, but I'm sure we kind of had the same thing. So I'll go next with with my next uh, observation of the game, and that is clearly there's a lot of elite pass catchers on this Oklahoma roster. How do you react to that statement? Yeah, and so my after Mordecai, my next bullet point was what I thought was the biggest takeaway from the spring game in general uh, was just the sheer number of weapons that are on this offense. Um, I think it's it's not hyperbolic at all to say um, this has the potential to certainly be the best group of pass catchers Oklahoma has ever had. Um, I think this is right now probably the deepest stable of skill position players Oklahoma has ever had. Um, they they go three deep with dangerous guys. It's insane how many weapons they have. And you didn't even see a lot of the first team guys last night. Uh, Lamb, Rambo, Calcaterra, those three guys barely played at all. Uh, Calcaterra didn't play one snap. Lamb played like two. I saw Rambo in there for a handful of plays. That was it. Those are the, those are the first team guys. And everyone else out there looks great. <laughs> um, so I just, Jalen Hurts really does just need to be a distributor. They have a ton of weapons. I mean, even it's you like you get down to like the sixth spot or sixth or seventh spot in terms of the pecking order at wide receiver, and then you get to Jaqueline Crawford, who looked great. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, Crawford, six catches, forty-four yards, uh, did a really nice job. I, I noted there was was his best catch. He uh, he did a great job of coming back to the football in the second quarter on a Tanner Mordecai throw and. It looked like whenever Mordecai threw it, if you, like, if you freeze-framed it when the ball was halfway there, you'd think, what the heck is Mordecai doing? There's three defenders there, and all of a sudden, if you push play, Jaqueline Crawford just flies out of nowhere, coming back and grabbing the ball with like sticky fingers. Like It goes up there and just pull, pops it out of the sky and comes down and picks up the first down. That was the, that was the best gain of the night, aside from Morris's touchdown. Uh, the, really, the only time that Mordecai completed a pass down the field, and it was all mainly because of Jaqueline Crawford coming in and, and making a really nice play. And the question I have for you, and I guess what is, do you, first of all, do you remember that play I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. That was actually the, I, I thought that was the biggest pop play of the night for Jaqueline Crawford. I think that that was a play that really displayed just his athleticism. Um, to go up there, go back to the ball, and he just looked different than the other guys on that play. Did that play remind you of anybody else that you've seen play on that field? Um, honestly, when I watch him, I, I it, he reminds me of kind of like Sterling Shepard. Okay, that's so. Fair. I, and, and you know, I'm one of those probably people who listen to this podcast think it's crazy. I'm I honestly I don't remember a whole lot of Sterling Shepard I didn't watch a lot of OU football when he played at, at OU so I I can't really speak to that uh, what I was going to get at is it looked to me a lot like Marquise Brown Marquise Brown's really good at coming back for the football great route runner and it makes sense to me because I talked to Jaqueline Crawford recently and asked him about that just because it's just it's a logical comparison you know hey you, you're a guy that's you're kind of short in stature you're really fast you know do you kind of look to to model your game after Marquise Brown he said yeah I Last year, he looked up to Marquise Brown a lot, watched a lot of tape on him. He basically wants to be 
like Marquise Brown. And when I see plays like that, it looks like he takes that seriously. I mean, that, that's such an important part of playing wide receiver is helping out your quarterback and, and being smart enough and, and have the awareness to come back for the ball. I mean, that's not easy sometimes. And uh, it, he's a player that can be a dark horse wide receiver in this offense, even though it's, like you said a second ago, the depth chart is, is loaded. I mean, he's got, he's, he's got one year of experience under his belt, so that helps him certainly against maybe some of these, these younger guys. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see how Crawford's role in the offense grows and see what he does in the fall. Sure. So, Lee, I just, I'm, I'm just going to do this real quick. I'm just going to list off everyone here that this offense has. Lamb, Rambo, Calcaterra, Lee Morris, uh, Nick Basquin, Theo Weiss, Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges, Jaqueline Crawford, Austin Stogner, Michael Jones is there too. The guy had 500 yards and like three touchdowns in 2017. Guy, I don't even know if he's going to play this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, And that's not even to mention uh, Jeremiah Hall, who out of nowhere looked great. Uh, Braden Willis, we, he caught one pass and you could see his athleticism. Um, and the running backs, they have they have two they have two running backs who who ran for a thousand yards last year. They have T.J. Pledger who looks great. They have a guy Ramondre Stevenson coming in in the summer who I think has has the potential to be a stud. It, I mean, guys are going to start transferring out. I think. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess we'll we'll see. I mean, I suppose does that happen in the summer quite a bit? You know, spring ball ends. Yeah, and players I mean, we'll, decide we'll see. But they there's are. there's a log jam there, and so I, I just. And then I, I see guys just like, you know, Austin Stogner, who is kind of considered, you know, fourth in line of all of these pass catchers coming in. Um, I thought arguably he was the most impressive out of all of the guys, the guy that you can point to and say, yeah, they can use him right now. Um, like I said, I wanted to put a bookmark in that in that back shoulder throw that Hurts made to Stogner. Lee, that's indefensible. If they can get that down with Stogner and his size and his body being able to wall off defenders, that's 100% indefensible. And you could say that about That's, any of those freshman wide receivers as well that have those big bodies, but none of them are as big as Stogner, though, obviously. Yeah, so I, I, I thought Stogner looked great. Uh, I don't think he's going to blow you away with his, his athleticism, but uh, he, he carries his size well, and I thought he looked, I, I thought he looked coordinated. Um, I thought he moved well, and it looked like, like he, he looked like he knew how to get open. And, I mean, that's... That's just very valuable, and they already got they got ground they already got Grant Calcaterra and Lee Morris in that position, two guys who have made some huge plays at the school already, and you got Stogner coming in now. It's just it's an embarrassment of riches, is what it is. An embarrassment of riches on the offensive side of the football, which makes sense considering Lincoln Riley is is the the best offensive mind in college football, and then and we'll get to it. Then you got the defensive side of the ball that's just just grasping at straws a lot of the time it's just mm-hmm. man it's tough um yeah i mean you said a lot about the receivers stogner looked good 6'6 237 big dude uh you know you went over all the names of the players there's not a whole lot i can add there um i thought uh, i thought bridges looked solid looked like a really nice I thought, player i thought bridges looked the best of honestly i thought bridges looked like the best wide receiver on the field period on last friday night i think uh um, yeah I, I i'm excited about theo weiss he uh, had the, I think he had the toughest matchup though, because as we'll get into the defensive talk later, I, he was going up against Parnell Motley most of the night, and and Motley did really well against him. So if if flipped teams, maybe Theo Weiss would have done a little bit better against different de- defensive players. I think 
He's uh, he he might be the guy that I'm most excited about, honestly, in this this true freshman wide receiver class. Other than that, Grant, I uh, you know you mentioned running backs a, a bit. I I you know I have one more bullet point on the offense. Do you, how many do you have? Uh, let's see. I got like two more. The other the others are about like the offensive line. Okay, so I'll. We'll save that for the end then. I, my last one is it's not a whole lot, but I, you've, we've kind of already somewhat touched on it. But my last bullet point on the offense is that I'm just super excited for a full year of Kennedy Brooks as a full time player. Because, you know, last year he, he kind of came in really more the ha- for, at, at the halfway point uh, and, and was splitting time and getting a lot of carries with Trey Sermon. Um, so I'm just really excited for Kennedy Brooks. I just, I really like him as a player. I, going back to last year, last year's spring game, he's just so smooth. He's, He's he's not going to blow you away with four three speed or anything like that, but I think he's a lot faster than you you think. He just glides out there, so I, I just he's a really nice player. His vision is so good. I think he just sees things, you know, one two steps ahead, which really helps as a running back. Uh, at the same time, T.J. Pledger, you mentioned him a bit ago. He also looked good. I agree. Had a had one or two explosive runs. Uh, I think he he's clear, very clearly at least right now that that third running back behind Sermon and Brooks, which, you know, last year Brooks was that third running back behind Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon and and obviously Anderson's injury opened up the door for Brooks to get more carries. But uh, you know, at that third running back, that third guy is incredibly important in this offense because Lincoln Riley, if you're good, you'll get on the field and you'll get touches. Uh, and then lastly, just talking about the running backs, uh, Jeremiah Hall. I mean, he was kind of forced into duty as a as a feature running back, and he had that one big explosive run and had some other touches in the game. I mean, he's certainly an athletic player because uh, Trey Sermon didn't play at all in, in the game, or if he did, I you know I don't even know if he dressed. I can't remember. So Jeremiah Hall was essentially that running back for that t- for the I think Tanner Mordecai's team, and uh, he looked good as well. So those are my last bullet points. I'll let you can comment on any of the running back stuff. If not, you can get to your offensive line discussion. Um, yeah, I mean, running. I don't have a lot of thoughts on the running backs. They didn't. They didn't particularly run the ball that much in the game, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, I think they probably wanted it to have a more of like a seven on seven feel, which I have no problem with for a spring game. Um, Spencer Tillman made an interesting comparison to Kennedy Brooks during the broadcast that I I'm not sure if I totally buy into it, but I just find it interesting. He compared him to Edron James. Um, and wow. I kind of like it because Edron James was, was more of kind of like a plotter get six, seven yards here. Not, you know, and, and I know Kennedy Brooks has, 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 you know, broken off some huge chunk runs, uh, but kind of like slow plotting patient, uh, finds holes and darts through them. Um, I, I, I kind of liked the comparison, but I'm, I just, I wanted to throw that out there as something that was interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I don't remember, like I remember Edron James, but. I've never thought of him when I've watched Kennedy Brooks play, uh, even though I, I maybe I should. I, I guess I don't remember him. I mean, you would remember more than, than me because I know you're, you're a Colts fan. But I mean, that still was a while back. Uh, but I mean, Edron James is a great running back. So, I mean, I suppose that that is a compliment. Absolutely. Because Edron James is, is he going to be is he a Hall of Famer or is he going to be a Hall of Famer? Is he he's not that good, right? I, I don't know. Uh, it's a. You know, maybe like a lot a, of people think statistics wise compared to other people. Yeah, he should be. Um, objectively speaking, I don't, I mean, I don't ever consider, I don't think Edward, Edron James was ever the best, you know, at his position ever yeah. in the league. So I, it's, it's hard for me to put a running back like that in the hall of fame. That's just my opinion. Just, yeah, right. Although I, mean, I, I, I love edge obviously. Yeah, but. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly a compliment though. I mean, if you're compared to him, that's, that's high praise. So, uh, and so Grant, we've been kind of teasing it now for like 
three minutes, but do you have some thoughts on the offensive line, I take? Yeah, not a ton. Just just some general thoughts. Number one, I thought they looked really good physically. Uh, you can tell they're just a different kind of bodied dudes there, uh, especially the the presumed starters. I'm, I'm mostly talking about, we already know what Creed Humphrey looks like, but Marquise Hayes is a freak. Tyrese Robinson looks great. I thought Adrian Ely probably looked the best out of everybody at right tackle. He didn't really give up much of anything at all. Um, and then other people that stood out to me, Bray Walker is a, is a monster. And so is Michael Thompson. My goodness. So, I, I mean, I can, I, I can see just in terms of his body type, why, why they moved him to the offensive line. Like he looks like if, if you're looking for just like a prototypical offensive lineman, what you want in the NFL, that's Michael Thompson. I mean, if he, if he can figure yeah. out how to play that position, oh boy. Oh man. So we talked about this in the last podcast, I think, just at the very end about uh, the offensive line and the, the last time practice was open to the media before the spring game. They had two groups of offensive linemen out there uh, going through, running plays, and I wrote down who the offensive linemen were in both groups, and I told, said it on the podcast. So anyways, the question was like, okay, which one is the first team, which one is the second team, because it wasn't that clear. But I think now it's, it's pretty clear who the first and second team was, and I'll just reread uh, those guys that I saw in that practice. And I think this was the first team offensive line. And granted, none of these guys were, uh, or I shouldn't say none of these. Uh, these. This wasn't the offensive line on either one of the teams in the spring game because they split them all up. But it would seem that as of this point, or at least probably in the spring game or beyond, this is the offensive line that Bill Biedenboe has in his mind as the number ones. Left tackle, Eric Swenson. Left guard, Marquise Hayes. Obviously, the center is not Creed Humphrey right now. In this scenario, it was Clayton Woods, but it'd be Creed Humphrey in the fall if, you know, when healthy. Right guard, Tyrese Robinson. Right tackle, Adrian Ely. So throw in Creed Humphrey as a center there. I mean, as of right now, maybe we'll do this a little bit later on you know, this summer. We definitely will when we do our some predictions. But I'd say right now that, that sounds like those are the five starting offensive linemen, even though Bill Biedenboe said this week that he didn't have five starters yet officially. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think, I think really the only one at this point that's up for grabs is probably that left tackle spot. Um, I think it was always presumed that was probably Bray Walker's spot, but he did move to guard in the spring. And Bill Biedenboe is apt to do that. It doesn't mean it's a slam dunk. That's where Bray Walker is going to play. Um, yeah. I, I've seen other people make the point that it's it's hard to envision Swenson kind of stepping in and, and doing anything this year just because this is going to be his fourth year in the program. This is kind of the first we've ever heard of him. Uh, so typically, you know, that doesn't really, when that happens, doesn't really look good for future prospects. So... I don't know. I, I Bray Walker is certainly the more talented guy. I think the coaches would probably like it if he took that position. But um, if they think he's better at guard, they think he's better at guard. Um, and so the other one I think may be up for grabs um, is when that grad transfer, R.J. Proctor, comes in. It wouldn't surprise me if he maybe pushes Tyrese Robinson a little bit at right guard. Um, but other than that, I think uh, I think Hayes, Ely, and... Humphrey are, are set in stone those guys are, are certainly going to start one way or the other perhaps Swinson will be somewhat similar to Jonathan Alvarez from last year and I know Alvarez had played before he had started before in, re, in previous years but a player that had the, you know, the experience the seniority started initially but then Creed Humphrey took a spot maybe Swinson will be a guy where you know at first he'll get he'll win the job but potentially could lose it just when talent maybe beats him out as the year goes on 
because that seems like that's what happened to Alvarez. I mean, and, and you were on Creed Humphrey, and a lot of people were before this season thinking that he'd be the starter, and, and he turned out to be fantastic as a redshirt freshman. So uh, that's kind of the, the random thought I had when it comes to Swinson. Is Possibly. Since he's been in the program for so long. But uh, it seems like he has you know improved, and he's pushing for the starting spot there heading into the summer. Yeah, that's possible. You know, I the, the Jonathan Alvarez situation still kind of bugs me a little bit from last year. Uh, just the it was such a night and day difference between him and Creed Humphrey. I still can't believe they even thought that Jonathan Alvarez should have won that job. I don't know what they saw, but well, and you know what's happened the last couple of seasons or even more with Oklahoma's offensive line it, at the start of the year. It's it's fine. They kind of figure things out, and then by midseason, then they start really rolling. So I mean, that's probably just part of the process. Yeah, my of- my, my point there is that I I don't. It just from what we know about Creed Humphrey now. There's nothing that you can tell me that's going to convince me that Jonathan Alvarez was better than him leading leading up to last season. There's just no there's just no way that's possible. So you're saying this is the OU offensive line version of the Baker Mayfield Tarod Taylor quarterback battle last year? That's a pretty yeah, maybe. <laughs> like where come on. I mean, there's there's zero chance that Taylor is actually better than Mayfield, so he should have never won that starting job. <laughs> or I mean, what what probably happened with Alvarez is that he knew everything, he knew every call, he probably did everything they asked him, you know, asked of him, and they rewarded him for being a senior. That's probably what happened last year. Um, I understand why you do that as a coaching staff, but play the more talented player, one hundred percent of the time, please. You have any more thoughts on the offense, or should we move on to defense? I think that about. Yeah, that about sums it up for me. I, the offense is going to be very good again. All right, so we got more talking points, more observations on the defense. Just real quick before we get into that, just want to remind everyone, if you have not already, please leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes. I know we were kind of hit and miss the past month or so with spring ball and spring practice trying to go to these availabilities and with the podcast so it wasn't always coming out on Wednesday like it normally does uh you know we apologize for that but we appreciate the support and if you still enjoy listening to the podcast we appreciate you support leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes you can also send us an email send us a question if you'd like west of everest at gmail.com that's actually where we have our listener question to answer later on we got it from our email address Uh, also Facebook west of everest Facebook page like that for updates staying up to date with the show if you're always if you're on twitter and you're like hey when are you guys going to release the show like us on facebook and that's normally where i put updates on when the show will come out if it's off a day or two or in this case this week it was off of more than that uh as always we appreciate your support and we look forward to uh a summer of providing ou content hopefully we can do it a decent amount i will say this though right now next week no show next week, unfortunately, because I got to move as I, uh, I I think I may have alluded to that or I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But I got to move next week. And I, that's that's really annoying. Uh, maybe after the NFL drafts over with and I'm all settled, we can maybe do a weekend podcast, talk about the NFL draft a bit. But uh, as of now, don't plan on any podcast next week. But if we will have one, I will put it on the Facebook page. I'll let everyone know. And then after that, uh, we'll try to figure out we might take a little bit of time off just to kind of regroup charge the batteries because i gotta be honest i this whole month i'm i'm a little burned out on this a little bit with covering everything plus my actual day job grant i'm sure you're probably the same way so uh that's all i have in that aspect and now let's move on to the defense 
I'll start with my first observation. There's two players on defense, Grant, that really stood out to me, Neville Gallimore and Parnell Motley. And early on in the game, Gallimore had a tackle for loss, just beat the center that he was going up against again. This is not, you know, these are walk-on centers, so that, that should be expected. Uh, also, Tuesday, Grinch continued to say, he mentioned Gallimore. He's a player that, that Grinch is really excited about in this defense. And as far as Parnell Motley goes, maybe we can discuss this a little bit further. He, I saw, was consistently playing press coverage. And he was mostly going up against Theo Weiss. And I didn't see Motley get beat one time all night. I, I thought he played very well, and it was, a, it was a really encouraging sign. And I thought Motley was the best defensive back on the field on a Friday night during the spring game. So that's my first talking point. Grant, I'll let you react to anything you'd like. Okay, so, um, Lee, I actually I rewatched the game for the first time this morning, and I thought it was a good thing to do so because I think um, – the first reaction out of a lot at a lot of people out of a lot of people after the game was that the defense just looked really bad and I think everyone kind of started to panic a little bit which is understandable because I did the same thing and especially when you couple that with what Grinch has said about the defense uh you know post spring game about how they have a really long way to go I think everyone is kind of starting to maybe think uh maybe they're not going to turn a corner this year but um on the rewatch Lee I was not as concerned uh, when I rewatched it, because I was able to pick out some guys who I thought looked pretty good. Um, and also, it was just very, very vanilla. They did not show at all, even close to a majority of what they're going to be doing next year. So, um, I would hope. Yeah, it just, it just, you know, from the get go, Lee, they lined up in base every single play that I saw. I, I didn't see really any unique formations or anything like that. What about you? Yeah, that's another one of my bullet points as well again it, the word vanilla is apropos because the scheme to me for the entirety of the game didn't look too terribly different from what we saw after Mike Stoops was fired last year I mean it looked like Oklahoma was essentially playing a 4-3 defense all night long and I know they're in their nickel package because that's a, a staple of Alex Trench's defense but the nickelback whoever it would, it would have been it was it was Buki on one team and on the other team it was a walk-on was Caleb Murphy the starter who I've never heard of before sorry Caleb uh, so those are the two nickelbacks but a lot of the times they were either consistently lining up over a slot player a slot receiver or they were just lining up as a third linebacker essentially in a 4-3 so I don't know if that's what we're going to see from this defense when they start playing real games I don't know something just to be aware of and in the secondary it was essentially Two high safeties the entire game. I saw a lot of man. I saw a lot of two man. And I saw a lot of cover four. And that was about it. And uh, against Jalen Hurts, the defense. So I guess the white team. Let's see. The white team. I, I think the white team was where Mordecai was playing with. I think the white team defense played a little bit more man against Hurts. I don't know if, if that was on purpose because they wanted maybe wanted to see Hurts go up against man more. Uh, that's just something I noticed. Maybe I'm not 100% correct on that, but uh, I just I felt like I saw a lot more man coverage when Hurts was playing quarterback. So, yeah, a, a very vanilla scheme that I saw. Yeah, and so um, let's just kind of come out and say this. I think, I think Neville Gallimore, particularly in this one-gap attacking scheme, um, is going to make the defense just a lot better just by himself, I think. Uh, he, has, he has the chance to be very, very dominant next season. He looks great. He, he looks great. Um, I think we might see the Neville Gallimore that we all kind of expected when he signed here. Oh boy, I hope so. 
And yeah, I mean, Alex Grinch continuously has has brought him up in availabilities. So he's somebody that that Grinch is excited about, which which means that I think we all should be excited about because he he's been brutally honest this entire spring, as far as we know. I mean, he says a lot of negative things about this team, which makes sense because they've been bad on defense for the last handful of seasons or last three years, however far you want to go back. But speaking of the D-line, though, you mentioned Neville Gallimore, and this this goes back to the vanilla scheme of the defense on Friday night. I didn't see them stem or move around at all. No stemming. In the game. Mm-mm. And, you know, perhaps that's just simply he doesn't want to put that on film yet. Yeah, or, that's got to be what it is. Or they just haven't even moved on to it yet. I mean, he, I think that he said the whole entire defense is in. I mean, it, it's it's been in. The same with the offense. I mean, everything's there. They just got to learn it. You know, or a more cynical reading of it is that, you know what, maybe that's not as big of a part of this defense as we think it's going to be. Uh, I mean, go and watch Washington State. They're they're doing that every other play. I know. It's there. It's going to be a part of this defense. That's a that it's a big part of this defense. That's they we just didn't see any of it. We didn't see any of it. What we did see, though, Lee, um, what we did see, we saw some blitzes from the edge, which is what I liked. But the thing I liked the most about it, I saw a very obvious attempt to disguise these blitzes, which I think is a big deal. Uh, especially, I thought Buki looked pretty good blitzing off the edge, disguising it. He looked really mm-hmm. good. Got a sack. Yeah. Not one of them. Yeah, blitzing Tanner Mordecai's blind. Actually, it was not his blind side. It was his front side. And Mordecai was, was uh, there was nobody open. And then he got him. And so this is this is something, um, basically ever since Mike Stoops has been there, um, the blitzes have been obvious and they have not been disguised. Um, and they do not time them well at all. That's something that needs to change. And if that can change, that is going to, it's at the very least going to produce a lot more tackles for loss. I have some memory of some random, <laughs> some random blitz in the Rose Bowl. That was actually really, really well timed. I think maybe Stephen Parker. Or yeah, Kelly he sacked got from. A sack yep. From like that was like I remember thinking like that was that was like wow, and it was like a really huge moment of the game too because I think Georgia had just maybe got had a big play and uh, so uh, you mentioned that you know that just it triggered me whenever you said there's not a whole lot of uh, disguising of blitzes like that that was like the one I can remember. So the fact that I can remember like one probably means that there it didn't happen a whole lot because it stands out. <laughs> because <laughs> it was it was so uh, unexpected let's see another individual player Deshaun White early in the game I saw him make a really nice open field tackle on Kennedy Brooks ah, yeah I actually I bullet pointed that as well that was I, I said Lee that was a that's a play at you haven't seen an Oklahoma linebacker make the last five or six years consistently at all consistently the key word there because I mean there's people make tackles but but honestly though after that I didn't notice him the rest of the game, particularly. So I don't know if that if that's good or bad or what. And and that's kind of the theme of a lot of the players. Um, I remember you know, we were texting before we both rewatched it, and you were mentioning, hey, I wonder what Kenneth Murray's going to look like. And I thought, that's a good point. When I watched it back the first time, I honestly didn't didn't notice Kenneth Murray at all. I, there was one play early on in the scrimmage where I, I think he, he read run pretty well and, and played downhill, but then kind of got lost in the shuffle and, and didn't really make much of a play on the ball. And then after that... I don't recall him doing anything the rest of the game. And granted, I wasn't particularly watching it that closely for, for the linebackers, so maybe that's on me. But you know, I, I noticed the Deshaun White play. Um, you know, I noticed Parnell Motley playing a lot of press. Heck, I noticed Miguel Edwards also playing a lot of press coverage and actually playing pretty well 
as the other cornerback, I think, with Motley. So there was some players that I that stood out to me, uh, but Kenneth Murray wasn't necessarily one of them. And, and honestly, outside of Neville Gallimore, I didn't really notice any other defensive linemen either. So I, I don't want to just pick on Kenneth Murray. Uh, a lot of players on the defense ne- didn't necessarily stand out to me. So I'll let you comment on any of that that you'd like. Yeah, there weren't there weren't guys. There weren't a ton of guys who just like ultra flashed at me. Gallimore really was the only one on the D line. Um, I know a lot of people talked about Leron Stokes afterwards. He, I didn't really notice him at all. So uh, someone's gonna still gonna have to explain that one to me. Um, yeah. Another, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Miguel Edwards. He's definitely one of the guys that I bullet pointed here. He looked good. I thought he looked really good. Um, yeah. So maybe he yeah. is a guy who you know who has an opportunity to play here. Um, I thought Trey Brown looked good um, in spurts. Um, other stuff I thought of the, of the rush linebackers, I thought Nick Benito looked to be the best one. Um, I, I, you he know, looked, he looked big. Yeah. I guess he, he he's looked, always been kind of a tall, thick. tall player. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mirror your thoughts on Kenneth Murray. I thought he looked like Kenneth Murray. So meh, just kind of, um, I, I'm you bringing up the fact that he read run, right. But then he got, you know, just caught up in the slop. Uh, I think that's the too long. Didn't read of Kenneth Murray's career so far. Like he, uh, and I know, I yeah. mean, yeah, and you're saying, eh, I know because it's true. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's not a particularly instinctual linebacker. And I, uh, one of my takeaways actually, um, if I want to move on to the negative part of it, outside of that Deshaun White uh, play where he took down Kennedy Brooks, where he met him in the hole and took him down instantly, um, I was largely disappointed by the linebackers. I just don't see a lot of instinct there um, outside of Deshaun White. Um, I see a lot of guys who are just who are reacting and not trying to play downhill. So I, I, I Which, hope that's something that they can correct. And uh, you know, listen to Alex Grinch speak, and he—that's one of his biggest complaints about the defense so far—is that he he just doesn't see players out there that are are looking to make plays, and and they're still uneasy and uncertain about where they need to be, or they think that if they just get to the right spot, that's good enough, as opposed to getting to the right spot and also making a play. Uh, as far as the linebackers go, one, really, real quick, one, not that it matters that much, but I misspoke. Uh, Miguel Edwards was on a different team than Parnell Motley, so they were on different teams. Yeah, he uh, was Miguel opposite. And, and, he was opposite Trey Brown. They were yes, on the. Yes. I think that was largely a lot of the time, maybe why Mordecai had a lot of issues because Trey yeah. Brown and and Miguel Edwards were taking away the two outside guys pretty much the entire time. That's a good point, and also I did make a couple notes, a, a couple of the big plays from Trajan Bridges that Jalen Hurts connected on were against Robert Charlton, the other corner who's a walk-on, uh, and playing opposite of Parnell Motley. And again, as I said, I didn't see Motley get beat once. So, you know, perhaps if Tanner Mordecai had, you know, sorry, Robert Charlton, but apparently if, you know, maybe he was going, he had his his receivers going up against maybe like uh, Jaden Hazelwood going up against Charlton, maybe it would have been Hazelwood making, you know, more catches like Trajan Bridges did. Um, so that's that's certainly worth pointing out, and I'm glad you did. Uh, but anyways, the, the linebackers, though, I, I did notice one other. There was one play by Jonathan Perkins, who was who was backing up Kenneth Murray at Mike. He made a nice, uh, nice play of standing up. I think it might have been uh, pleasure in the hole one time. Uh, he didn't make the tackle, but he, he held him up and, and kind of got him going to the ground and uh, I think maybe John Michael Terry and Brian Mead might have made a nice play here and there, maybe one time early on. But other than those other instances, yeah, I didn't notice the linebackers much at all, aside from that white play. Uh, Ryan Jones, 
Uh, you know, he was the guy that uh, that I guess you could say technically missed the tackle on Lee Morris's long touchdown catch. Although, as a guy who never played college football but played high school football, I can somewhat sympathize with Ryan Jones on that play because I can I can guarantee you what happened on that play was since the pass was where it was located slightly behind Lee Morris. It was awkward for Ryan Jones. He for like a split second he thought, oh. The ball's there. I got. I maybe got to make a play on this football and maybe knock it away or pick it off. And then once it was hit into Morris's arms and then went down, that split second reaction was enough to kind of throw Jones off, and he couldn't wrap up and make the tackle. And Morris got away, and that's I think why he missed that tackle because he was distracted. And it was awkward because of the way the the ball was located. Whereas if the pass was perfect, I think Ryan Jones would have probably ran through that tackle and made the play. Uh, so that's just my you know. Because that happened to me one time, you know, when I was playing football years and years and years ago, where a, a weird pass kind of distracted me, and I was trying to make a play on the ball, and then the guy caught it kind of awkwardly, and then I was out of position to make the tackle, and it was really annoying. So, long explanation to explain, really not that big of a deal of a play, but uh, it kind of, you know, just talking about the linebackers, it just there wasn't a whole lot there, and. Alex Grinch said afterwards that big picture stuff when it comes to the spring game, he's not taking a whole lot away from it uh, because there's just there's the teams are split up so much that uh, there's just not a whole lot of big picture stuff. But he did say after the game that some players this, you know, in the overall of the spring have left the door open for some younger players coming in to potentially win some starting spots in the fall. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's really important to point out as well, uh, we didn't see Patrick Fields at all. We didn't see Delarian Turner yell. We didn't see Robert Barnes. We didn't see Jordan Parker. We didn't see Trey Norwood. I mean, these are all guys did who Pat, have started. Did Patrick Fields miss the game? Was he just not playing? Patrick, yeah, Fields and, and, and DTY both did not play one snap. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. Yeah, because they were listed as starter. Because DTY was listed as a starter. No, D- DTY did not play a single snap. Oh. I was. Oh, I, see, that just. Should, yeah, I was. So I, I, I was not paying that close attention anyway. So everything I've said about the defense now just it doesn't it doesn't matter because I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> that's why I'm actually not too worried about what I saw from the defense. They, I mean, I, I guess we got to take the coaches, coaching staff at their word. They, they had more guys out in the secondary than they had played on last Friday night. I think that's fairly obvious to say now. I mean, they, they, they had a bunch of dudes out who are, who frankly are just not really going to play a whole lot of minutes for them this year or a lot of snaps for them. So, you know, I, the guys, the guys that I did see, you know, I, the three corners, obviously Trey Norwood was, yeah, obviously Trey Norwood didn't play either. The three corners who are on scholarship that played, they all looked pretty darn good. Uh, they, they stuck to their guys. Buki, who is going to be a big time guy in this upcoming defense. I thought he looked good in the secondary. Um, another guy who I think could have an opportunity to make a dent this year, Jamal Morris, I thought looked physically ready to play college football. Um, well, you know, time will tell whether or not he's ready to go out there and, and, and contribute and can play safety or, or nickelback or whatever in college, but physically he's definitely ready to play. He did not look out of place at all in, in terms of his body out there. So um, I think there's some things that uh, I, I'm not coming out here and saying the defense is going to be awesome. Uh, but it doesn't. We we don't need to to panic quite yet. They they did not have a full deck in this game. My biggest concern after this game is the linebackers. Still, um, Kenneth Murray continues to look the best in a football uniform. I think I've seen anybody ever. He wears the uniform better than <laughs> anyone has ever worn it, like ever. And I'm I'm dead serious. I, I just I I I wish he was as good as he looked. 
Um, and also an, another guy kind of knocking on that door, Brian Asamoah. Man, that guy, yeah. know, he knows how to yeah, wear a uniform. I got an up-close and personal look at him oh, man. when he was running out. And he made a, a, a nice tackle on the sidelines, a, kind of a big hit. And yeah, he, I hope he's he a can. guy that knows how to wear a uniform as well. I hope he can improve and, and get himself on the field because, yeah, he looks good. He, he looks... Like good from like an aesthetic, you know, reason not not necessarily his game. On on Kennedy right. Brooks's touchdown catch, uh, Asimov looked terrible on that. Um, so I don't know. He he, uh, he he's got a long way to go, but he looks you really, know his flare game is is ninety nine out of a hundred right now. I don't know how much Asamoah was at fault for that touchdown catch. Well, I mean, Kennedy Brooks was his man on the play, so. Uh, yeah, I'm watching it back right now. Eh, was he though? Well, either way, well, if he wasn't, no. he didn't know no. it was going on. So, yeah, that's true. No, I'm watching it back right now. It wasn't. I don't think it was his man. It and was not to say, I mean, that's 48. I mean, and, and and that was a wheel route out of the backfield. That's that's a difficult route to defend if you're a linebacker. Uh, but yeah, he looked more of a nice read by Jalen Hurts because they cleared out the the corner with the the slant route by the receiver and. Boom, open. Um, man, I just we need more plays to to break down. That's the most interesting part of football, and it was good to see some of them on a Friday night. I you know I kind of like your positive attitude when it comes to the defense, but um, I'm going to go ahead and throw some cold water on it because Alex Grinch gave his assessment of the defense this past Tuesday. Now that spring ball is over with, and uh, this is what Alex Grinch had to say. I don't see a, 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 a fast defense yet. I, I don't see a, a brand of football uh, that that would uh, you know, put us in anywhere close to the top. You know, uh, certainly not an elite defense, but I, I wouldn't even make the claim of the, the, the top half of uh, half of the country. Just just the, the willingness to, to make decisions post snap that don't put us in the best situation individually to have success, which ultimately puts us in a bad situation collectively uh, as a defense. So, um, no, uh, the long, long way to go. Well, um, I suppose everything he said there, we, we shouldn't be that surprised. I'll put it that way. Uh, this defense wasn't good last year. We're not going to see any amazing, miraculous changes in the spring. So, you know, credit to Grinch. He, he's not setting, you know, like a, a, a super high bar. You know, he's, he's underselling things right now in a way to where – when August and September and October rolls around and, and if the defense just looks competent or slightly better or, you know, decently better than the, the years past, then it'll be a huge success. And I think he knows that. And so, you know, that's a lot of what you hear there uh, in that soundbite. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's underselling. Um, and yeah, it's I they had a lot of guys out this spring. I, it's from his standpoint, it's it's. If he's just judging by the guys he has on the field, I'm. <laughs> if he's judging, you know, he's judging a lot of walk-ons and stuff as well. So I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm trying not to get too worked up. It's it's still spring. You know, I spent I spent all winter saying, hey guys, it's just spring practice. Don't read too much into it. Um, so I'm 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 trying to prevent us from doing that right now. I I think I think we're gonna know a lot more in August than we are right now. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, I have some notes from the assistant coach availability, and that's exactly what you just heard. Uh, you heard Grinch. That was from Tuesday. 
Also, Roy Manning talked. Uh, Bill Biedenboe talked. I guess we've already kind of gone over that a little bit. Just since we're on defense right now, just a couple of notes from from uh, Manning and Grinch that stood out to me. Um, Trey Norwood didn't play in the spring game. This is from Roy Manning, and we know Trey Norwood is. It seems like he's kind of turned into the Swiss Army knife of the secondary, and we got some confirmation from Roy Manning that Norwood this this spring has been playing safety nickelback and cornerback so literally every single secondary position Trey Norwood has gotten work at and the last we heard from Grinch was that he was playing and getting you know reps at nickelback but once Norwood is healthy and ready to go in the fall you know he's like a wild card like where he's going to end up we don't know it's almost like they they you know obviously they want to know where he's going to play but it seems like he's kind of like the the player in the secondary where it's like if they can't really find a specific spot for somebody or like they need to fill somewhere or like they're uncertain about one spot. They're like, oh, that's going to be Norwood's spot there because he's good enough to play everywhere. So that's somewhat interesting. Other than that, nothing else really stood out to me about Roy Manning's um, availability. He did say that he thinks that they probably should put more emphasis on tackling when it comes to training camp in the in the summer uh, because there's not a whole lot of tackling you can do in the spring. I know tackling was a huge issue last year for Oklahoma, a huge issue. Talked about it all the time. And also when it comes to tackling, to, as far as Alex Grinch shows, this is interesting, Grant. I want to know what you kind of think about this. He said that overall this spring he was fairly pleased with the tackling of his players. And he said that the fact that he doesn't immediately think or say that they were terrible at tackling kind of speaks to the fact that this spring he thinks that they were pretty good at tackling. So uh, what's your read on that statement? Um. I'm not sure. I I noticed some, you know, some parts of the spring game that it's it's that sort of bothered me. There was a there was a particular play where Chance Sylvie came up, and if if he just would have been aggressive and would have played through the uh, through the pass catcher, he could have gotten a tackle for a loss. Instead, he just kind of broke down and let Jaqueline Crawford come to him, and then Jaqueline Crawford juked him out of his shorts. Um, that's something that I've seen from Oklahoma's defensive backs for the last decade. Um, that needs to be yeah. that needs to be gone. They, they they need to be a more aggressive tackling team. So uh, that was just one instance that that really stood out to me. There's others that I you know I'm sure there were others that aren't aren't really coming to mind. But um, this isn't a particularly great tackling team. And until we actually see them play a real live game that counts in the fall, I don't know if we're going to be able to make any sort of judgment on that. Fair enough. Another interesting thing that Grinch said. He said that he was asked about kind of recruiting, you know, spring game weekend is big for recruiting. And Grinch said that he'd love to be able to tell recruits at some point that, you know, two to three years down the line, we're going to need you to fill in. But because of the depth right now on the roster, on the defense, that's just not possible. So what he means by that is that, uh, you know, he's mentioned the numbers were not great this year uh, in for his defense. And uh, from a performance standpoint, like I said a moment ago or you know, five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, that, that some players have kind of left the door open for younger players coming in in the fall. So I thought I found that to be kind of interesting. Is like what, He loved for his recruiting pitch to be like, you know, you know, we're so deep and so good that, hey, like you know, two, three years from now, we're really going to need you because it's, it's going to be really tough for you to win a job because we're so good. But right now, if you're a recruit, you can come in and you can compete for a job right away just because the numbers aren't there and the depth isn't there. I, f- I found that to be kind of an interesting 
uh, insight to maybe a certain recruiting pitch from Alex Grinch or kind of how, how it works? Because like in my mind, and, and let me know what you think about this, I always think of when people are pitching to recruits, the thought that every recruit wants to play right away, right? And so I've never heard of a coach maybe saying, hey, listen, like, I'll be honest with you, like, we're really good. I mean, we're, we're not going to need you for, you know, maybe two or three years down the line, but hey, we still want you. That, I just found that to stand out to me when he was talking about that. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's that's the reality of some programs that have to recruit. I mean, that's that's basically Alabama's recruiting pitch to right. guys. I mean, right. they, it's, hey, come here, develop for two or three years in our weight room, uh, learn from guys who are going to play in the NFL in front of you, and develop yourself. That's the recruiting pitch. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what he's talking about. I this this okay. this is the most concerning thing uh, definitely because I've gone over the guys who didn't play in the spring game um, guys who have started multiple games for Oklahoma in their career um, and that's I mean that's a list of guys that was five or six dudes long that you know that makes up an entire you know entire part of a depth chart right there so um, the fact yeah. that those guys are still on the sidelines that are still there that are still eligible that can play and they're coming in saying uh, no these guys who are coming in first in this in the summer they're gonna have every opportunity to win a job that's a little concerning because you could easily take that as they don't think guys who have been on campus for two or three years they don't think they're the guys who can handle this um, right. that's not a great thing so that that's one of the things I'm, I'm kind of concerned about a couple of final notes from Alex Grinch's availability he did mention that he he certainly believes that Robert Barnes and Jordan Parker are going to be ready to go this summer so they need to get those guys back uh, you know I, I'm still we'll, we'll see about Barnes. I, I feel a little bit better about Barnes now because there's been so many issues with numbers and and depths that maybe Barnes will be able to step in if he's good enough and play and also to Jalen Redmond he was asked about him and he's, he's a guy where you know I think I've said that I just have a feeling that he's just not going to be able to be out there I just just have a have a gut feeling no inside knowledge I just feel like you know based on what his, his health it just seems like something that's that's tough to come back from and play and not worth the risk with the blood clots and, clots and stuff so uh, Grinch said that they're going to find out fairly shortly about Redmond and his availability he did say Grinch said that it sounds positive right now it's all medical related and it's just a wait and see approach when it comes to Jalen Redmond so just wanted to throw that out there uh, for the Jalen Redmond update and he's a guy that you know I think OU is if for them to have a good defense in the 2019 season, uh, they're almost at this. They they might be kind of relying on Je, on Jalen Redmond to be healthy, which may be an unwise thing to do. Um, I think he's going to be a big time player here, uh, health pending, obviously. Um, and I think well, I hope you're right. Yeah, I, obviously. Um, I I think he's a guy that you can pencil into that rush linebacker spot if he's healthy. Um, but we'll see. All right, we gotta we gotta get moving here. Let's do the listener question, and then we might have like just really quick thoughts. <coughs> excuse me about the NFL draft. So we'll get to the listener question right now. One to answer on the show, and it's a great question, really, from Jeff, who emailed the show West of Everest at gmail.com. Jeff says, "Really love your podcast and all the work you guys put into it." Just wanted to reach out and ask your thoughts on Grinch's hyper-focus on turnovers. I'm kind of old school, but that sort of scares me. I tend to believe you focus on playing fundamental correct defense, and the turnovers will happen along with just plain old getting stops. Based on what I'm hearing, I envision a defense that's always going to go for the strip 
versus wrapping up or trying to jump a route and getting burned. I'm hoping that's not the case, but just wanted to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Lee, if you have a chance, I'd love to hear Grinch's answer on how he plans to ensure his players are still playing fundamentally sound football with all the focus they put on turning over the ball. Thanks again for the show. So, Jeff, again, great question there and something that I hadn't even thought of really to ask. I'm glad you brought that up. Unfortunately, I was not able to pose the question to Grinch. He was available two more times after we got Jeff's question in the email. And the first time Grinch spoke, he only spoke for about eight minutes. And I didn't have a chance to ask him that question during the media scrum because other guys were just peppering him with questions. And Grinch tends to, to, to talk quite a bit and long during his answers. So in that eight minutes, he was only asked, I think, something like four or five questions, maybe. And so it just I wasn't able to jump in there. Uh, sometimes I'm not as aggressive as I probably should be. And, and the second time he was available was actually this past Tuesday, as I mentioned earlier in the show. And I couldn't make it out to Norman for that because uh, I've been preparing to move, like I said earlier. And so I was busy all Tuesday afternoon and early evening kind of with that stuff. So, uh, again, I wasn't able to talk to Grinch about that or ask him. But I did get a chance to ask Kenneth Murray if there's a fine line between being aggressive and too aggressive where mistakes might be made in this defense – and here's what Kenneth Murray had to say. Obviously, you don't want to overrun a tackle, but but you know the thing with our defense is what we what we preach every day is effort. So you know if I overrun the play, then my brother got my back. He run into the ball too, so he gonna make that play. You know, you know the mindset on this defense is that you know you know I'm hoping that he missed that tackle so I can get that tackle. And so you know that's just how the mindset is on the defense. We're trying to fly around, get to the ball. So if one person misses the tackle, one person takes too aggressive of an angle, then the next person got their back. All right, so and I know the spirit of Jeff's question was more of you know the the focus on turnovers and how that is he's kind of concerned about that. And I asked Kenneth Murray more about like aggressiveness, not necessarily a turnovers. So, I uh, not necessarily the exact same question that you wanted to ask, but I think the spirit is still kind of there. Uh, obviously, there's a comment in there where I'm sure like uh, Kenneth Murray he, he said obviously he doesn't want his teammates to you know, mess up and miss tackle. I, I, I get what he means by that. He says, you know, I'm hoping he misses that tackle so I can get that tackle. Like, obviously, that's like a weird thing to say, but I think we can let's, – let's give him benefit of the doubt. We know what he means. We, we know basically he's saying that he wants everyone to rally to the football so everyone can make the tackle. Even if somebody makes a mistake, somebody else will be there to, to help out their, their teammates. So I, I don't, there's no reason to really kick him for that. Uh, not a whole lot there. I mean, it's kind of what you'd expect him to say, Grant. Um, Next time I get a chance to talk to Alex Grinch, probably in the fall, I mean, I think that needs to be addressed. It needs to be brought up and, and probably asked a little bit more precisely than I asked Kenneth Murray. But uh, either way, that's somewhat of an answer to your question, Jeff. Uh, Grant, what do you think about all this? Well, I mean, he's basically just he's, – he's describing uh, the give and take of what sort of defensive scheme you want to go with. Um, if you go with a conservative scheme, you are opening yourself up for – to get uh, just kind of pinpricked to death. If you go aggressive, you're opening yourself up for explosive plays. Um, it's up to you whether or not you want to make that decision. Um, what can you live with and what and what what can't you live with? Um, I tend to be more of the school of, especially in college football, a vast majority of the teams that you're going to play, um, especially with Oklahoma, you're going to be more athletic than them. You are going to be more talented than them. So therefore, I think that you should dictate what the... Off 
what you're doing on defense should dictate what the offense is doing. Um, and when you do that, you're going to speed them up and it's going to create an opportunity for them to make a mistake. That's what you're trying to do. And I think a lot of the time in college football, if you're overly aggressive or if you're incredibly aggressive, especially against teams that you're more talented than, that's how you bury them. And and this is the type of defense that I think this is how you dis, this is how you defend these up tempo spread offenses. I think when you sit back and you're trying to be conservative, that's exactly what these offenses want you to do because they can get you five six yards at a time here and there, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. That ultra conservative kind of fundamental approach that's what they've been trying to do the last couple of years, um, and that really only works if you got incredibly experienced guys who are being taught correct fundamental football and I think we can pretty safely say that that consistently was not happening with the previous defensive coaching staff so obviously I mean there's there's give and take with both with both systems there's some players who fit more that conservative approach Kansas State that's kind of what they've done over the years they've liked to be more conservative um, because they they recruit players to fit that mold. They want to get guys in there and they want to develop them. They want to know that they want them to know what they're doing on every single play. And they want them not playing for the first time until their third or fourth year on campus. Um, Oklahoma, I think is going to have more athletic guys, guys who are, who are going to be able to out athlete a lot of the teams that they play. Um, I would prefer them to, to have more of an aggressive style because that's going to produce a lot more negative plays, but also it's going to open you up for explosive plays as well. But I'm willing to accept that because it's been happening to them anyway. Now that's fair. I, I like pretty much everything you said there. I think Jeff obviously has legitimate concerns about, you know, over pursuing hyper aggressiveness leading to big plays and, and not focusing on fundamentals. I'd like to think that the idea behind Alex Grinch is that he wants to first instill a mindset and like he said this at the very beginning that the point of every single snap is to get the football back to the offense and so that mindset has been established with this team and I think once that gets put in and the guys get comfortable I think the idea for Grinch and I'm just I'm just guessing here and I suppose this is another thing we could maybe ask him or you know maybe we could parse from his words is that you know once that mindset's there and they kind of figure out the defense and and they know that their job is to be aggressive and and make plays and be playmakers that also when they get comfortable doing that fundamentals and technique will come with that and it'll just make them even better at taking the football away as opposed to all right, let's just kind of be tentative here. Let's make sure we do everything correctly. We don't want to get beat. We don't want to make mistakes here. So therefore, maybe we'll be in the right spot, but they're going to, you know, we're never going to really make any plays. We're not going to ever get in the backfield, tackle for loss, break on the football, make an interception, unless the, the offense basically makes a mistake. And we're just like waiting for them to make a mistake as opposed to forcing them to try to make a mistake. And so perhaps that's kind of more the mentality. And I'm with you. I mean, we've this defense has been so bad that it needs a mindset change. And turnovers has been such a problem because I just don't think they they know how to get them. They don't know how to force them. They, they, they just don't know how to do it. And Alex Grinch is a guy that has a track record of getting turnovers from his defense, uh, an above average amount of turnovers. So that that's something that's exciting. But again, something that need it's not going to come overnight. And I think we're seeing that and we're, hear, we're hearing that from, from Grinch's assessment of this team. All right, Grant, let's go to the NFL draft really quick. I got some questions here, but let's just, you know what, let's just do two of them because I think are interesting. Uh, we're less than a week away now, Grant. Do you still think Kyler's going to go number one overall? Yes. 
All right, so do I. There's been, you know, the reports coming up. I think uh, one NFL insider, I'm, I'm blanking on who it was, said something like recently that you know, a week ago or something like that, I was 90% sure Murray would go number one. Like Daniel Jeremiah, I think, from NFL Network. And now he says, like, I'm 60% sure he's going to go number one. And, you know, this is, it's just the time that we're in. Uh, I, I just think that Kyler Murray is way too freaking talented and obviously the best quarterback in this draft that – Somebody, if it, even if it's not the Cardinals, somebody's gonna trade up to fo- trade up to get him. Uh, I'd be shocked if he's not the number one guy, just because he's so much better than than all the other quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, uh, Dwayne Haskins is number two, but I, I still think Murray is is leaps ahead of of Dwayne Haskins based on his skill set. Uh, what's your reasoning? Why do you think that he's still going number one? Oh, I just I because that has been the consensus, and I just. A lot of the a lot of the reasoning these people have been using is just because it's 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 just all been quiet on that front. They just haven't heard anything. Um, so I don't know. I, I I haven't heard anything otherwise. I it would be a massive surprise if he doesn't go. I mean, who's going to go number one if he doesn't? So the Bosa kid. Yeah, I, maybe, but but I mean, still, I'm not. Uh, it, Let's just put it this way. I mean, I know he's supposed to be pretty good, but he he's not Miles Garrett. I mean, Miles Garrett was just like obviously, yeah, that guy's take that guy number one overall. I mean, I is is Boza as good as Miles Garrett? I, um, I don't think he is. I he I would say he probably had a better college career than Garrett did. Um, hmm. just because my yeah. I mean Miles Garrett was was underwhelming in college relative to his status. Um, yeah. I, well, the thing was with Miles Garrett, the problem he was he got banged up too yeah, much. He was yeah. injured a little too much. Um, which in the NFL, he's I think his first year he kind of got banged up a little bit, but last year he was healthy for the most part all the yeah. season long. He was really good. Let's just say this: I thought I, I thought Joey Bosa kind of had a surprisingly anonymous NFL career. Uh, you know, when he was with Ohio State, I think he I thought he only flashed a handful of times when he was there, and he's an awesome NFL player. He was every bit worth the hype. Um, a okay. lot of people think Nick Bosa is just as good if not better than his brother so um i will kind of take them at, at at their word there me personally i quinnon williams would be by easily the number two player in this draft on my board um i think that's just sort of where the game is going you want a quick slippery uh interior defensive lineman because that just wreaks havoc on these spread offenses um i'd be going with quinnon williams all day long um if you're not taking kyler murray number one the other question I want to pose to you, I thought I saw a, a report that this could be the case, but I, I, I'm looking at it again, and I, I guess I read it wrong, so it's it's not necessarily what I thought, but still, it might be fun to talk about. Will Marquise Brown be the first wide receiver drafted? And I thought I saw a report that said that he that he was maybe a lock to be that, but I, I reread it now, and, and what I read is that he's close to a lock to be drafted on day one. So yeah, I, that doesn't mean... Yeah. I would say like it doesn't look like it, um, but also I, I I've recently kind of read some more scouting reports on him, and I guess he is because uh, obviously he's a small dude, but I guess people are very impressed with his uh, with his understanding of the game. I guess his football IQ is sky high. Um, I mean, so it shows. Did, it shows on tape. Yeah. So I mean, there he, was a there was an article. He's so lead, smart. Yeah. There was an article lead this past week in the Athletic. 
um, where their head scout basically had, he had Marquise Brown on the phone break down five different plays over his career at Oklahoma. And Marquise Brown went like two minutes on each of them, explained exactly what he was doing. He was saying, um, I knew from watching film that the cornerback likes to do this, so I set him up doing this. And that, and um, just showing like how his football IQ is off the charts. And also, I guess he has a reputation, Lee, of being just uh, a hard work junkie. I guess he is incredible, an incredible hard worker, especially like in the weight room and whatnot. Um, I've seen other quotes saying that when C.D. Lamb got to Oklahoma, he didn't like the weight room, and it was Marquise Brown who got him competitive in the weight room. Um, and so oh I, I see that that sure worked out. Yeah, if you've seen Cody uh, uh, C.D. Lamb recently, and so <laughs> I, I read stuff like this, and I see Todd McShay saying. Uh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never seen anybody um, with a better combination of speed and quickness than Marquise Brown. And then you have him saying that he's 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 a he's a technician and he wants to be technically perfect. And he's such a good route runner. Um, that leads me to believe that he yeah he might be the first receiver taken. Um, I, I'm starting to see in these in these mock drafts that he's starting to slip. But when you add all of the, all of those things up, and I know another report just came out saying that his medical evaluations from his list Frank injury have come back very positive. Um, yeah, he he might be. I, I based off mock drafts and whatnot, and what people around the league are saying, like journalists, it doesn't seem like it. But when you add all of those things up, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. It'd be really cool if he was, obviously. All right, I'm with you, and you know what? I think you had a lot of good stuff there, and I think we should end the show with that because i got to get going. Uh, that's it. Again, no podcast next week because I've got to move. Uh, if we do do an emergency NFL draft or post-NFL draft podcast, then we'll all let you know on Facebook. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.